I know when you ask me about these injuries, and, and, and I give you my thoughts, if you really want to figure it out, I think Danny O'Neill has the best uh, translations for me. I sure do appreciate that, Pete. Seriously, means a lot. I am Danny O'Neill. This is the Dang Apostrophe. It is a podcast. It is a newsletter. It is a full multimedia experience. Why is it called the Dang Apostrophe? Well, because like the punctuation mark in my last name, I keep hanging around, hanging around. Kids got alligator blood. Can't get rid of him. I'm not going anywhere. I don't intend to. And if you'd like to help me stick around a little bit more, I ask that you rate and review the podcast. Seriously, it does help spread the word or do a good old fashioned. Give somebody a heads up. This is something you've been listening to today. We're going to be talking quarterbacks. I don't know who the next Seahawks quarterback is going to be. I don't know if they're going to find the next franchise quarterback. I do know how they're going to find him, though. And we look to their past to do that. And there are going to be two guys that we talk about and hear about today. One of whom I'm very interested in. That's Baker Mayfield. The other of whom I have zero interest in. That would be Kyler Murray. And that's for an entirely different reason than ability. But... If you look back in 2010, 2011, Pete Carroll and John Schneider get here, and John said this before, he, when he gets here, they have a quarterback in Matthew Hasselback. But Seattle knows, like, the first, they need to find a successor at that position. Even if, even if Matt's going to hang around, which he did for a year, and even if they had extended him, which they kind of tried to do in 2011. I'm not sure how, how earnest that effort was, but they certainly tried to do that. They needed to find the next guy. And NFL teams have different ways of going about that. The most common when you need a franchise quarterback is to give everything you need to get one in the draft. Whether you're fortunate enough to draft at the top or you trade your way up there, you decide we're going to put a lot of chips on this guy we like and we're going to draft him in the first round. And, And by doing that, there's a certain amount of cost effectiveness that, that comes with that because if you get the guy, if you do draft your franchise quarterback, he's cost controlled for a number of years. First four years, really. You, you don't have to pay him until he's played four years for you. The expense comes in two ways. One, it's extremely hard to get one of those picks. If you're trading up, you're giving up an awful lot. You look at what the Washington, now the commanders, then they were the epithets, gave up to trade up and get Robert Griffin III. That was the same year that Russell Wilson was drafted. You look at what, well, the Rams traded to move up and draft Jared Goff. Like when you move up in the draft, or even if you're just moving up a couple spots, it takes an awful lot. The other thing is that you're kind of pot committed to that guy. You're going to have to take two, maybe even three years before you decide, is this guy any good? And if you pick wrong, like the Chicago Bears picked wrong with Mitchell Trubisky, well, you've just wasted those two to three years. All the other stuff that you've done with your team doesn't matter. So that is making a bet and saying, hey, before this guy plays a down of football, we're casting our lot with him. The Seahawks are not going to do that. There's, there's, no, there's not one sign in John Schneider's history, and this even goes back to Green Bay, where you would say that that's how he's going to approach it. They're going to they're going to cast their bet. Another way teams will do it is to trade for a rising backup. This is less common now, but 
10 and 15 years ago, it was fairly common. You got a team that has an established quarterback, and, well, they've, they've got a guy that's rising up in the ranks behind him. And, well, the team that's got the rising backup then deals him because they can get something for a guy that's not going to see the field because they got their franchise guy. The, the most recent, and this is the example that resonates the most in Seattle, is Kevin Cobb. Kevin Cobb was the Philadelphia Eagles' backup quarterback in, what, 2010? And Seattle needed a quarterback. Everybody knew Seattle. Cobb was the best rising backup that was there. And there's kind of a, 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 a bit of a bidding war. And Seattle was out. Seattle was, no, no, we're not doing that. We're not trading picks to pay money to a guy that we haven't seen as a starter. We're not doing that. So how did Seattle find its starter back then? What Seattle did is it took a number of moderate-sized gambles on guys who had either been in the league or, in Russell Wilson's case, a guy that was coming into the league. In none of those situations did Seattle stake its claim of this has to work. In none of those situations did they did they move it and say, hey, you know what? We're going to give up everything to get this guy, and it better work. And if it doesn't work, we're probably all going to get fired. And that's just how it's going to go. But it, if we don't find the guy, we're probably going to get fired too. So this is, this is the best bet. We're going, to put, we're going to put our chips on this guy. Seattle didn't do that. What'd they do? They signed Charlie Whitehurst, <laughs> which, which wasn't so good. Also pissed off the starting quarterback. Like that, that, That's not something that went over real well with Matt Hasselback. That is going into the 2010 season. It was kind of the first move that the Seahawks made with Pete and John in free agency, and they had the weird press conference that wasn't a press conference because it was in the media room and Charlie Whitehurst was wearing a sweatsuit, but they wanted to make a deal about, hey, we've added this guy and there's competition to quarterback, that whole thing. It's the next quarterback they acquired, Tavares Jackson. Tavares had been a starter in Minnesota. The Vikings had decided like he's not going to be the guy long-term. And Seattle's takes a moderate-sized investment. What, it was a two-year I think they paid like $9 million. It was similar to what they gave up to get Charlie Whitehurst. Both of those guys are people with some NFL experience. Seattle thought they had some promise. In Tavares Jackson's case, they're like maybe a fresh start will do him so good. In Charlie Whitehurst, it was like, hey, he's been he's he's been buried behind Phillip Rivers. So we don't know how good he can be. Like maybe 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 he's the guy. And then with Russell Wilson, it was a third round pick. Right? It was a it was a, it was a third round pick. If a third round pick as a quarterback doesn't work out for you, that's not backbreaking. It's not ideal. It's it's certainly with a third-round pick, you're expecting to get a guy. He's going to make your team as a rookie, and you're going to expect him to become a rank-and-file player. He's going to be someone that should that that should be part of your playing rotation. But if a, a third-round pick doesn't pan out, that's not back-breaking, especially at quarterback. They signed Matt Flynn. That was just before they drafted Russell Wilson, and he was a backup. They didn't give up any draft picks to to acquire him. It was the most money they'd given up to a guy at quarterback. And they paid him like ten million dollars for that first year. Like they they but these were all none of those were make or break moments. And Seattle's approach was we're gonna let the guy show us he's the franchise quarterback before we pay him like the franchise quarterback. And by pay him, I'm not talking just about the salary. I'm talking about the resources it takes to get him. Seattle was not going to sink uh, so many resources into a guy, whether it was trading up to get Robert Griffin III or trading up to try and get Andrew Luck, which really wasn't going to happen because the Colts were set there. But you get what I mean. They're not, they're not going to 
name, they're not going to anoint this guy as the franchise quarterback before he shows them they're the franchise quarterback. I think they're going to do the exact same thing this time. Drew Locke, is he more like Tavares Jackson? No, because he's never been the full-time starter, but he definitely got some opportunities in Denver, and it definitely didn't work out. He's played more than Charlie Whitehurst had. Charlie basically had not played at all. Matt Flynn was a backup to the best quarterback in the league, and he'd shown more. Matt Matt Flynn, had, in the games that he'd played and in the preseason, had looked pretty good. I, I, would, I would say like you, you look at what is, what is Drew Locke. He's someone that they think has some potential that hasn't panned out at all, and they're going to give him a fresh start and see if it works. They're bringing back Geno Smith. It's like one year, $7 million. It's, it's a moderate size investment. It's saying, hey, we think that this guy, we think this, this guy at the very least knows our offense. And we've seen him play a little bit here. Do we believe he's going to become the starter? No. We think there's a chance, though. We think there's enough of a chance that we're going to go ahead and, and we're, going to, we're going to sign him and acquire him and, and we're going to bring him back and give him a ch- shot to do it. Does Baker Mayfield fit into that? Yeah, Maybe. He doesn't fit into it as we're going to trade resources. They're not going to trade. I, I don't know if they'd trade a third-round pick for him. I know they're not going to pay him $20 million a year. And how that works out between him and the Browns, because that money, the Browns are obligated to pay him, I think his salary is $18.5 million. The Browns are obligated to pay him that. If they trade him, the other team could be on the hook for that. But if I'm the Seahawks, I'm, like, I'm not paying him $20 million. I'm not paying him 18.5. You can trade him here. We'll pay him five. We'll pay him seven. We're, we're not, we're not paying him that. We're not giving you up that much. And if Cleveland looks at it and says, well, if you're not going to take it on, then we're just going to cut him. We're not going to, we're not going to allow you to cut the line to get to him. Well, then there's some risks that come in there because Baker Mayfield might sign somewhere else. So I think Baker Mayfield's a possibility. I don't expect it. I, I don't necessarily expect it to happen. I think Geno Smith, Drew Locke, and maybe a rookie, or Geno Smith, Drew Locke, and, and Baker, you could have that kind of competition, but I, I'm i interested in it. Baker Mayfield was on, he appeared on the You Never Know podcast, and it was unusual in this regard. You usually do not have a quarterback coming on and admitting his feelings were hurt, but that's kind of what he did and talked about how it felt like that, and then he was asked exactly where where he thinks he's going to go and it's an it's an interesting answer that he has where do you uh where do you think you're going to do you have any idea where you're going to land oh man this would have been about a week and a half ago i would have said indianapolis um mm. seattle i mean probably be the most likely option mm-hmm. but even then i and, no, you, and where you're sitting, you don't give a fig. I just, I'm ready for the next chapter. Right. Do you like how I edited out the curse word there? That was my voice that said fig. He's ready for a fresh chapter. Maybe that's in Seattle. I'm interested in that. I, I don't have a lot of optimism that Baker Mayfield is going to be your longtime franchise quarterback. I think he could get you into the playoffs, though. Like, I don't know if he throws downfield well enough. Like, it seems like he's had a lot of talent at receiver, and they haven't been able to utilize that. I write off most of this past season because I think he was really hurt. It was his non-throwing shoulder. If you watched him play, you could tell that like he didn't want to get hit. Like it was, He was playing through a tremendous amount of pain. I, I think there's a decent bounce-back possibility there, and I could, I could see him fitting into Pete's idea of the quarterbacks, the, the point guard, 
that he that he distributes the ball and there's a certain amount of, of playmaking that he has in him. I don't think it's likely that he's your franchise quarterback. I think of all of the guys between Geno Smith, Drew Locke, a rookie that you'd draft, and Baker Mayfield. I think Baker Mayfield would be the best for 2022 for sure. That doesn't mean it's a reason to say, sort of set your sights and say, hey, this is good. But I think he'd be the best option out of those guys. When Baker came into the league, I was pretty sure, like I was fairly certain that he wasn't wired correctly. Like his, he was too fixated on criticism and proving people wrong and that he would be so obsessive that the, the, the sort of the drama that inevitably quarterbacks have to face that he would, he would be too fixated on that to see it. I actually think he's wired pretty well. I, I think the way he approaches things works for him. I think the issue with him is his ability to throw downfield. I I don't think it's between his ears. I actually, I actually kind of like like that the edge that he plays with, I, I kind of like it. There was a moment, there was a moment because he he does he's feisty, but for I kind of I kind of like the edge that he has. Here's that same podcast. You never know. And here's him talking about the uh, facing criticism. I would love to show up to somebody's cubicle and just boo the shit out of them. <laughs> yeah, and see and watch watch them crumble. Now, usually when I, hear, when I hear a pro athlete talking about that, I'm like, dude, you are fixated on the wrong things because that guy in row four that's booing you, he doesn't make a bit of difference in your long-term prospects. Like you're, you're hearing the wrong things. And I, I felt this way. I've always felt this way when athletes react to that of like there's an animosity where it's natural, but man, you're putting energy in the wrong things. For some reason with Baker, I, I kind of, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me as much as in the pros. And maybe that's because I saw how he handled the criticism from Odell Beckham Jr. And the talk surrounding his ability to get the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. Which, by the way, I don't think Odell Beckham Jr. is wrong about that. I, I, don't, I don't think he was wrong in his assessment. And I don't think he was wrong to be frustrated. And he ended up getting himself into a much better situation. This is nothing to comment on. I, I like Odell Beckham Jr. Like, I think he's a remarkably talented player who is an incredible value because so many people fixate on him being. I don't think he's wrong about the quarterbacks he's played with stinking. And people are so upset because he's somehow made that not even crystal clear, but it's pretty clear that he didn't care much for Eli Manning's ability. And it and, and it wasn't personal with Baker Mayfield, but that he, that he just wasn't getting the ball. But I thought Baker handled all of that pretty well. Like, I, I, I didn't think that he got into a mud-flinging contest with, with Odell Beckham Jr. And I didn't think that he obsessed over that. Like, I thought he handled it pretty maturely. So I'd be interested in that, of, of all of those, as opposed to Kyler Murray, who I would not touch at all. I, I would, would I have him play for the team for the same contract as Baker Mayfield? He's got more possibility and more upside than Baker does, without a doubt. Like, there's just, there, if you, equal choice between the two, based on their on-field ability, it's not close. It's Kyler Murray. The dude is unbelievably fast. He's a huge playmaker. With Kyler Murray, it is strictly between the ears. And it's not even, I would say, like an understanding of the game or anything like that. It is that I think he pouts. That interception he threw in the playoffs was a quintessential effort 
we're losing. I just got to get rid of the ball and try and do something. And he totally sunk his team. Like it was, uh, it's not quitting because quitting is when someone is like, I'm not trying anymore. But he stopped being a smart player. Like he abandoned being a smart player. That throw is he's getting tackled in the end zone and he's not able to put enough on it and he gets picked and returned for a touchdown was that I'm not even thinking about the downside of this throw. And that was not the time for that. They were still in the game. There wasn't, that, that was, he didn't quit because it's not like he wasn't trying, but he stopped being smart. And that's the sort of thing where I'm like, whatever, whatever approach to the game gets him to that point, that's worrisome. And then you throw in the contract. He's been in the league three years. He's been in the league three years. He has made the playoffs once. They did not win that game. He looked terrible in that game. And he wants a big, fat contract extension. And not just wants it, but is forcing the issue. So there's going to be a lot of conversation. This came out yesterday. Tom Pelissero from the NFL Network. He he, he provided the, the report and the update. I'm going to play the sound from him from the NFL Network in just a second. Because... Over the next two weeks, there's going to be a ton of talk about what Kyler Murray's going to do. Because basically, the line that's being thrown out is he's not going to play on his existing deal. He's got, it's two years left on his rookie contract, a fourth year, and then there's a fifth year option that the team can exercise. So he's, it's not his choice to be, like, he won't become an unrestricted free agent for another two years. And it's not unprecedented for a player who's drafted number one overall or in the top five to get an extension after three seasons. Like it happened, Wentz, I believe Goff, I know Goff did, which was dumb. It's not unprecedented, but he's trying to force the issue. And in my mind, I look at what he's done so far and I'm like, is he worth $50 million a year? He might be. I'm not sure of that yet. And... Whereas Baker Mayfield is, he's looking for a place to play. So if you gave me the choice between the two of them based on ability, I think it's by far greater chance that Kyler Murray becomes a star and franchise quarterback and is that guy than Baker Mayfield. Like it's not even in the same conversation. But the difference is Baker knows he's not that guy right now. And he's looking for a second chance to prove he is. Kyler is not only certain that he's that guy, but he wants to be paid like that guy right now, and he feels that Arizona's reluctance to do that is he's, he's, he's willing to say, okay, if you're not doing that now, I'm not playing for you again, which it's going to be wild. And you throw in the fact that he's got some, some baseball. Like, and you're going to hear a lot about this. He's 24. He's turning 25 later this year. He's turning 25. He's played two years of college baseball, and yes, he was a huge prospect. He had one good college baseball season in the Oakland A's, Drafted him and signed him to, I think it was, they gave him a $4.9 million signing bonus that he ended up having to pay back. So you're going to hear a lot about like, okay, maybe he's going to come play baseball. Maybe, I look, I want to see it. I want to see it so dang bad. I loved it when you had multiple sport players. I loved it when you had Brian Jordan and Bo Jackson and guys that played. I wanted Jeff Samarja, the, 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 the wide receiver at Notre Dame who ended up becoming a hell of a pitcher in the major leagues. I wanted to see him play both. Deion Sanders riding a helicopter. Hell yes. And if it's going to turn and absolutely make an NFL team writhe in the Arizona Cardinals, they were like, oh, we don't want you to play baseball. He's like, well, screw you because you're not paid. Anyway, here is Tom Pelissero's report 
on where things stand with, with Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. Here's where we stand right now. Kyler Murray's agent, Eric Burkhart, put out a statement during the combine back in late February that made abundantly clear that Kyler Murray feels like he has earned a contract extension now. Wants to be in Arizona, but they feel like this is the time to do a deal at that point in time. However, since then, the Cardinals have never countered the initial proposal that was made by Murray's agent. Now, that part's very funny. So, Eric Burkhardt, he does, and it was on A, it was single-spaced, all caps. <laughs> he sent out a single-spaced, all caps missive about why Kyler loved being in Arizona, why he deserved an extension, why this needed to happen, and the price is only going to go up for here. It was basically like, help me to help you. Let's get this done right now. <laughs> Cardinal's response is, that's great and everything. Nah, we're not even going to talk about it, dude. No, you got a year left on your on your rookie deal. Well, then we got a fifth-year option. And I, I, I get where you're coming from, and it's not like I'm going to say you're wrong. But, we, yeah, we're, no. No, thanks. No, no, we're, 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 we're not going to engage. So what does Kyler and his agent do? A few weeks ago, Murray's agent, Eric Burkhart, informed the team that he was pulling that offer off the table. So- <laughs> this is going to be, wherever my next job is, this is going to be my negotiating strategy. <laughs> is I'm going to go in, I'm going to go into them, and I'm going to tell them that I'm making them an offer for my employment. And if they don't hire me, I'm going to pull my offer. <laughs> my offer for employment is no longer there. Now, there's part of it. I love this in a certain respect of, hell yeah, there's no reason that that negotiation has to be only one way. There's no reason that an employer is the only one offering you a job. I'm offering you the chance to employ me. And if you don't take me up on it, I'm withdrawing my offer of employment. Like, But it's hilarious. I don't think I've ever heard of, I've heard of a, a player say, I'm not going to negotiate after this. I, I'm not going to. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna come back. If we get past this date, I'm not gonna talk anymore. But I've never heard of my offer for future employment is withdrawn. <laughs> God, God bless him. Two weeks before the draft, there are no negotiations. Other teams within the league are closely monitoring this situation, but the Cardinals insist they still want to extend Murray's contract eventually, and they are not going to trade him. Now, in that statement from Murray's agent and in his communications with the team, he made very clear the quarterback market is only going to go up from here. So this is a sensible proposal for both sides. Well, what has happened over the past month? Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, Matthew Stafford, most recently Derek Carr, all signed contract extensions worth upwards of $40 million per year. So I guess here is the the threat of the reason our offer for future employment, our offer on the extension is no longer valid is because the price of the bricks gone up. Quarterbacks are getting paid more. And if Derek Carr is worth $40 million a year, Kyler Murray is worth $50 million a year. And I got to say, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure Kyler Murray's wrong about that. The difference is, is if you're Arizona right now, do you really believe it's a question of either I pay Kyler Murray $50 million a year or he doesn't play? And and, and maybe maybe he's serious about that and he is going to go play baseball or he's going to screw around. 
And so that's the part where, okay, man, Arizona's kind of stuck because unlike other players, I think there's a legitimate shot that Kyler Murray at the very least is not plugged into their offseason program. If they don't extend him, that part would not surprise me that he's not part of their voluntary. He's not part of the offseason training except for what he has to be there for, and maybe even then he skips that and pays the fine. And that's a problem because he's the quarterback. That, that, that actually, he might be cutting off his nose to spite his face, but that's, that's a problem for the Cardinals. The other part of this is if teams are looking at that and saying, oh, are you going to trade for him? Because that's the other part of Pelicero's. And maybe, but I don't know, man. If you're an NFL team, if you're an NFL team, are you willing to give Kyler Murray the contract that the Cardinals won't? Like, are you, because to me, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. You're going to pay him what the Cardinals won't. And not only will you have to do that, you'll have to beat their price. You're going to have to you're going to have to give up resources to get them to do that. And this would be where like I have no interest in Kyler Murray. Like I don't think that that's there's no conversation about that from from my perspective. There's no conversation about that. I don't know what's going to happen with Lamar Jackson and he's got a contract that that needs and he's in position for an extension. Doesn't seem like anything's happening there. Like if you talked about giving a gang of resources to go get Lamar Jackson I'm at least considering that this is hard pass this is no thank you that is he is still someone you hope is a franchise quarterback he's not someone you know is a franchise quarterback he's he's someone you know that he's got more upside than Derek Carr but are you sure he's going to be more successful than Derek Carr are you sure that a team is going to be more successful with him because if you are God bless you, man. Three years, and I've seen some incredibly high moments, and I've seen some pretty dumb things that he's done, and I'm kind of worried about how... I'm I'm worried about whether or not he's got... It's not the ability. There's there's certainly some physical sustainability that's a question there. Like, he's he's a smaller dude, and he has been banged up, and that has affected him. But... But the bigger thing is, man, this is the paying the guy before you know he's the guy. This is the, whether it's a backup quarterback, like he's he's said, all right, you've seen enough. You should know I'm the man. And I'm like, I've seen enough to know that you might be the man. I, I've definitely seen enough. Like I'm interested in you as a starting quarterback, but tying my franchise to you for the next four years and saying, hey, sink or swim based on how this guy does, no thank you. No thank you at all. Here's the end of Tom Pelissero's report. At the same time, the Cardinals brought back wide receiver A.J. Green today, but they have suffered some pretty significant losses. Guys like Chase Edmonds and Christian Kirk on defense, Jordan Hicks, and their star pass rusher Chandler Jones. All of that from a team that made the playoffs last year in Murray's third season. The Cardinals did extend general manager Steve Keim. They extended head coach Cliff Kingsbury, but at this point, no contract offer to Kyler Murray, no negotiations of any time. This is a situation that bears monitoring in these next couple of weeks. I do like the idea of monitoring it. Like when you when you imagine someone monitoring it, I imagine like one hand placed over one ear. We're currently monitoring the situation between Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. Other NFL teams are monitoring the situation between Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals doesn't appear that there's any communication going on back and forth 
we're monitoring, though. We haven't seen him at the practice facility. We're not sure exactly what that means, but we're fully monitoring. I'm going to be watching because I want to see chaos, man, especially with that team. Like, that's if you're, if you're the Cardinals and you're like, okay, we got a quarterback we like. Yeah, we, we, hired, we hired our coach. We hired our coach specifically to work with this quarterback. Oh, by the way, you know what? Our coach and the quarterback have the same agent. And that's not unprecedented. There are a lot of guys, a lot of agents that represent both players and and coaches in this league. But so that's 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 kind of that's interesting. That's an interesting part of this dynamic. And we made the playoffs last year, but we lost some dudes because we spent a lot of money last year. You remember when we brought in J.J. Watt and that probably didn't work out exactly how we wanted it to. And now Chandler Jones is gone, but we're still pretty good. And we got the quarterback, right? We think we're going to we're going to make progress. And yeah, I, I like our certainly DeAndre Hopkins is awesome. And A.J. Green's back and now you got your quarterback is like, I want 50. I'm withdrawing my offer for an extension. I am no longer my offer to extend my work employment with you is no longer applicable. And by the way, I might not play next year. On the existing contract I have. It's going to be fun. I, I will I will be among those monitoring it. Except I'm not going to have a hand over my ear. Uh, quietly. Quietly uh, uh, monitoring it. I'm going to be laughing out loud. Well we get to this time in the show. It is the dang apostrophe. My name is Danny O'Neill. You can subscribe to my newsletter. There are free and paid tiers to that. Love having you listen to the podcast. I've got some, some different things that will be coming up in the future. Including... Uh, it's a, well, it's a episode, a narrative podcast is what they call it on Russell Wilson's decade with the Seattle Seahawks. We're looking at six episodes, um, and it'll look at not only how he became the starter and, and that process here in Seattle, but some of the tensions that ultimately led to the, the trade and, there's a lot to get into there about the the dynamics of Russ and what has allowed him to achieve at such an incredible level despite pretty moderate expectations at each level he went to, whether it was going from high school to college, ultimately from one college to another college and then to the NFL, that has allowed him to so wildly ex- exceed what expectations others had placed on him or the the prediction level and and then to look at how that drive how that inner drive that's carried him the kind of tension that created within the Seahawks franchise over his 10 years here to the to the point that the relationship ultimately ultimately ended and and they dealt him which is I, I still it's still we're underestimating or have not recognized how exceptionally wild it is that in today's NFL economy, where finding a franchise quarterback is everything, that the Seahawks traded theirs, and he's 33 years old. Like, he's he's in his prime. And the Seahawks, and that's not to say the Seahawks shouldn't have done it, because there's there is a rationale, there's a reason why they took the step that they did. But, that doesn't happen in this league. That does not happen in this league that a quarterback of Russ's caliber at his age gets dealt like this. And explaining how it came to that, I think is, well, I, 
It's something we're going to explore over six different podcast episodes that includes some original audio from from early in his career. I've had the benefit of, of having followed and been there for the start of Russell Wilson's career and, and through the, the next, through the whole 10 years that he was here in Seattle. We'll have some interviews with former teammates, former coaches. Also do some kind of behind-the-scenes reporting to, to, to flesh out the backstory of everything that went on. It is the dang apostrophe. I'm grateful for you listening. I'd appreciate it if you left a rating or a review. And is there anything else I need to say? Then Marshawn Lane, shut up, Danny. Fair enough, Marshawn. We'll talk to you next week. I know when you ask me about these injuries and, and, and I give you my thoughts, if you really want to figure it out, I think Danny O'Neill has the best uh, translations for me. Here.